The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 on your, uh, your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, whatever you have. Just turn into John chapter 4. And while you're turning there... Uh, Let me set up the story for you. It's the story of the woman at the well. Very familiar story where Jesus is separated from his disciples. And we don't know the reason why. Uh, They might have been running an errand. The Bible doesn't say, but he's alone. It's one of the rare instances where Jesus is alone and he's thirsty. So he goes to the well for some water. And as he's going to draw uh, water from the well, there is a Samaritan woman who meets him there. And they begin to engage in conversation. And this is odd for two reasons. One is there's this gender barrier. See, men did not talk to women back then. Men thought themselves to be superior to women, so it would be very awkward uh, or odd for for a man to engage a woman in conversation. But praise God that Jesus just shatters that gender barrier. Can I get a good amen to that? And then there was this racial tension as well, because Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan, and this is like a 700-year hate fest between these two people groups. And so typically you wouldn't see a Jew speaking to a Samaritan, but Jesus just shatters that racial tension as well. Can we get another amen to that? And while we're talking about that, I just want to pause and just say, I think it'd be apropos for us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm sure you've seen the news. It breaks my heart. Let me just say on behalf of this church that racism is sin. And it breaks my heart, it breaks the heart of God. His heart is that every people, every language, every tongue, every tribe, every race, every color, every creed are part of his kingdom. They're all his kids. But we live in a world that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is uh, infiltrating it with hate. But God is love, and love comes from God. And so I just want, can we just lift them up right now together? Let's do that. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for our friends in Charlottesville, Virginia. God, what's going on in that city breaks your very heart, and I pray that you would be with all those people who would call themselves to be believers, to to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in that city. God, give those pastors in that community a word of wisdom this morning to heal hearts and to mend and to build bridges instead of creating bigger chasms, God. May your peace reign on that city, a peace that passes understanding. God, fill this country with your love. May they know we are disciples by our love for one another. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thank you for doing that. All right, so back to our story. So Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and and he says, "Are are you married? And she says, no. And then he starts prophesying to her. He starts reading her mail, honestly. He goes, I know you're not married. You have actually been married five times. And the guy you're currently shacking up with is not your husband. And she's, <laughs> she's like, like, how does he know all of this? Right? In fact, the Bible would say that she would say, sir, I perceive us, thou must be a prophet. And uh, so they start talking a little bit. And uh, she's thinking in her head, how would you know this unless God himself disclosed this to you? Maybe, maybe I am in the presence of God. And so he continues to minister to her and he says, I'll give you water where you'll never thirst again. And you know that part of the story. Then we pick it up in verse 27. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, just then his disciples returned from wherever they were and were surprised 
to find him talking with a woman. Surprise for two reasons. One, we already talked about it, the gender issue. Two, the race issue. So they're a little surprised that he's talking to this woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her or with her? And this is interesting. John, who's writing this decades later, okay, think about this. If you're telling a story, if you're telling a story, you don't include things that don't happen in your storytelling. You just don't do that. You don't, and this didn't happen. Like, you, you just don't, that's not part of the storytelling unless, unless the Holy Spirit is being guided to write his gospel, is convicting him and saying, there's great regret there. We should have asked him. We should have asked him, what do you want? I mean, that just, that's common courtesy. When you're in the presence of someone you're serving, someone you honor, and they're in the presence of Jesus, you say, hey, can I get you anything? What do you need, Jesus? Right? Can you imagine if Jesus were here in the flesh today? We'd be waiting on him hand and foot. Can I get you anything? You need some water? You want a Mountain Dew? How about some chicken wings? How about a Mentos? They're the fresh maker, sir. Let's, anything you need. Anything at all? Lord, are you good? Okay, all right. We would just, we'd be waiting hand and foot on him. It's, can I get you anything? What do you want? We never asked that, John said. And he said, no one asked, why are you talking to this woman? He goes, we're disciples, we're his followers, and he's the teacher, he's the rabbi, and if he's doing something that we don't understand, we should ask. And no one asked. He said, we missed it that day. He's feeling some sense of regret. John goes on to say in verse 28, then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town. Now, she didn't travel miles and miles and miles and miles to another city. It's just around the corner. It's like her village. We know that because all of this happens in a matter of minutes. So she goes back to her town and says to her people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, I want you to picture this in your mind. So, Woman leaves, she goes and tells her town, they say, let's go see this Messiah. So just picture that on the other side of Ben White Boulevard, there's a lady who's leading a crowd of 200 plus people, and they're like, it's, it's over there by the well. Yeah, by that church, he's right over there, that man that I think is God. And they're making their way towards Jesus. How exciting this would be. Which is why this next verse is really funny. If you don't read the Bible and find comedy... You need to read it again. It's funny. This is funny. This is, this is what happens. Verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. That's funny to me, right? Here comes a town of people seeking the Messiah, and they're like, hey, y'all want to go to Papa Cito's? I'm hungry. Y'all want to get something to eat, right? <laughs> listen, listen, I'm, I know food. I think you know I know food, okay? And I'm the last person that you have to convince it's lunchtime, right? It's 10.59, I'm ready to go right now. Like, I might end early so I can go eat some lunch. Like, I know, but there's a good time to eat and there's a bad time. This is a bad time. Why? Because there's a town coming to meet Jesus. And they're like, y'all want to get something to eat? Okay, that's funny. So Jesus, he's so good. He's so smooth. Jesus, he's good at parables, he's good at pictures, and he often takes something like a topic that someone says, and then he turns into a metaphor to teach us some deep spiritual truth. That's what he does. He takes their food metaphor, and then he says in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He says, guys, listen, my lunch are these people. That's a good meal to me. Here they come. And again... (laughs) This is funny. The next line, verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) 
Now you're getting it. That's funny, right? Maybe somebody got him a six-piece when we were gone. He's had some McNuggets and he's not hungry. What do y'all think? Y'all want to get something to eat? Like they're still not, they're not connecting the dots. He just explained it to him and they're missing it. So Jesus tries round number two with this food metaphor. Guys, my food, verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He goes, guys, listen, I know you're hungry and we're going to eat, but I've got work to do. There's a whole town that is coming to meet me. He says, don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? Isn't that something you guys say, like it's four months, harvest is on its way? He says, I tell you, open your eyes. Say that with me. Open your eyes. One more time. Open your eyes. He goes, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Guys, your food is lunch. My food is these people. We can eat later. Like, let's, let's go. Don't you see it? The reason the disciples didn't see it, it wasn't because they were awful people. It's just they don't see things like Jesus sees things. In this Bible, there's all these great texts about our eyes. In fact, Jesus would say that your eye is the lamp of your whole body. What goes in here is dictating everything else. What I've learned about eyesight is that these aren't really my eyes. I mean, I look with them, but I, I don't see with them. I have a different set of eyes here. And in my heart, I'm seeing things. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, I pray the eyes of your heart be enlightened. I want to see something here. Your real eyes are here. Listen to me, church. We can all see the same thing and all see something different. We can all see the exact same thing and all see something different. That's why some people go to you. It's it's, it's based on our church experiences, our past experiences, our relationships, our, our hurts, our wounds. People can sit in the same service. Pastor Scott said this last week. They can sit in the same service and and there's a group of you that go, oh, that was awesome. And there's a group of you going, see, done yet. We're in the same thing. We just see something different. It's all about past church experiences and your wounds and your hurts. And that's what's happening with these disciples is they, they, they see that, but they see different things. And Jesus says, your problem is you're not seeing right. Open your eyes, guys. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. I want you to see like I see. Here's my prayer for you, and it's a very simple prayer. I want you to see Austin like Jesus sees Austin. I want you to see America as Jesus sees America. I want you to see this world as Jesus sees this world. Why? Because if you see Austin like Jesus sees Austin, you live differently. Like your lives are just going to be different because you see it like he sees it. But right now, I would argue that a lot of us are spiritually nearsighted. My family, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. I'm the only one in my family who is not nearsighted. I have good vision. Uh, my mother's nearsighted. My father was nearsighted. Both of my sisters are nearsighted. My wife is even nearsighted. My youngest son is nearsighted. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm, I have good vision. But um, nearsighted people, they see things that are really close to them. But it's difficult to see things that are far away. Let me put it to you this way. Is that if it's far away... We're, we only feel responsible for that which we, can, which, which we cannot see. We, or we only feel responsible for that which we see. If we can't see it, we don't feel that obligation. I'm going to give you an example of, of how this played out in your life today on your way to church. Um, it happens with me all the time, unfortunately. I wish that I could say it didn't, but it does. I will pull up to a traffic light, 
and there was someone asking for money. And what do you do? You used to look at your phone, but now that's illegal. So now you're like, right, look at my look at my gear shift. Look at it. Just look at it. Look at that. It's got a park and it's got a it's got a neutral and it got a reverse and it got the drive. Lord, I wish I could drive. Lord, oh green light. Here we go. Woo! Because if I don't look at you, you're not my responsibility. If I don't look at and if we make eye contact, what do they do? They come right to the window. They know they got you, and you got to help them. So we're spiritually nearsighted and, and and it happens to us spiritual nearsightedness isn't it's just being focused on me and listen this isn't just a church issue this is a this is a humanity issue everybody on the planet has a selfish button it, you look at a baby we don't have to tell a baby mine they just know that mine they know that word they come out of the womb mine right they just know that i don't know so we have a sinful nature it's a selfish nature and spiritual nearsightedness we got to be careful because it can creep up on us and there's a few characteristics that I want to identify this morning that help me and may help you to go, okay, it's happening to me. I'm getting spiritually nearsighted where I'm just focusing on me. Here's the first one. You're blinded by your own needs. You're just so blinded by your own needs. Listen, your needs are good and God wants to hear those things, but you just get blinded by them. And I'll tell you how this pans out in my own life. Is I start praying, Lord, I love you. Me, 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 my, 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 my life, my wife, my kids, my friends, my car, my career, my, 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 me, 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 me. You can know if you're spiritually nearsighted by your prayers. Let me ask you this question. If God were to answer every single one of your prayers, would it change the world or would it just change you? And for the longest time, if I'm honest, I, I would pray... And if God answered all of them, my life would be doing awesome, but the world wouldn't change very much at all. That's not good. The second way you know that you're spiritually nearsighted is you forget about the needs of others. You just forget about the needs of others. And listen, this is especially true in America. We are blessed. We have the best of the best. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We've got the best auditoriums. We've got the best air conditioning, praise God, in August. We've got the best air conditioning in our churches. We've got 30 restaurant options for lunch within a mile radius of our church. Everything's really, really good, and to God be the glory. But here's the problem is when those things start to blind us from the young girl who's in Amsterdam who's being used for the 20th time today in that brothel. It's happening right now. Or the family in Bolivia that I met that is a family of seven that lives in a home that is five feet by five feet by five feet. I'm six foot two. I couldn't even fit in their home. Their home did not have a roof. Their home did not have a kitchen. Their home did not have a bathroom. In fact, you had to go to the bathroom wherever you could find a spot outside. And they're living there right now. And so we can get spiritually nearsighted and we get so focused on our own needs and then we get blinded to the needs of others. We just forget that they have needs as well. The third characteristic of a spiritually nearsighted person is we get away from the heart of the one we serve. We just get away from Jesus' heart. God, the Bible's very clear, is distracted not by his found kids but by his lost ones. If you go and you read Luke 15, there's three parables that it says in Luke chapter 14, 15, and they're all uh, the same thing. And anytime the Holy Spirit does that, where it tells the same thing, and there's parallelism, and it tells the same thing over and over, he's trying to get your attention on something. And so there's the parable uh, in, in there, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And they all basically have the same moral of the story. It's that Jesus, God, will leave the found things to go look for the lost things. 
One of the stories says he'll leave the 99 that are found to look for the one that is lost. And so you, you understand, if you've ever lost anything, you get this. You ever lost your keys or your wallet? That's the worst feeling in the world. You're like, have you seen my wallet? Have you seen my wallet? Where's my wallet? I need my wallet, right? And you're just, I have lost sleep over a lost wallet. I have dumpster dove. That's embarrassing. I have dumpster dove looking for a wallet. Maybe it's in the garbage, right? And when you lose something, you don't care about your found stuff. You know, where my, where's my wallet? Where's, there's my refrigerator. Where's my wallet? Like, I don't care about found things. I just want to find what's lost. And listen, Jesus is excited that you're here. He's like, big thumbs up. I'm glad you're in worship today, but I'm distracted because there's some lost in Austin that I'm, I got a heart for, and I want to see those things found. They're, they're valuable to me. I love those people, and I'm concerned for them. So I'm glad that you're here, but I, I, I'm distracted today because I, I love them. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's, I mean, that's his whole mission. He's distracted. And, and so I think often we're, we're, we're not concerned for what God's concerned for. And I'm praying, God, break our hearts for what breaks your heart. And I've got, asked God to, this weekend, I've just asked him to put a fresh anointing of evangelism on our church body for everybody as individuals to take this responsibility personally and, and, and seriously and say, I've got to make a difference because Jesus is counting on me. Listen, we want to be a church that's growing. And if you haven't noticed, we are. And we've got a parking problem. Praise the Lord. Right? And here's the thing. If your eyes are open, if you have open eyes and you see the, the harvest is ripe, you go, oh, man, i got to park across the street at Dealer's Electric and get a, get a ride on a golf cart to come to church because I'm two and a half miles down the road. But look at all the life change that's happening here. If your eyes are open. But... But if you got spiritual nearsightedness, you pull in the parking lot. There's traffic. There's nowhere to park. This is ridiculous. They got to fix this parking issue, right? I'm focused on me. So we we gotta we gotta open our eyes. I honestly believe that if Jesus were here, I'm personally convinced. I could be wrong, but if Jesus were on this stage. In 2017, talking to his church. Now, if he was talking to people who hadn't figured it out yet, his message would probably be, be something different. But I believe if he was here today speaking to his church in 2017, he'd say, open your eyes. I want you to see Austin like I see Austin. I want you to see your neighbors like I see your neighbors. I want you to see your coworkers like I see your coworkers. Open, open your eyes. Why? Because you can't reach what you cannot see. You can't reach what you can't see. So how do, we, how do we reach them? And I think this is difficult in 2017. I'll be honest with you. I think it's difficult to reach people in 2017 uh, for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is we have these, these extremes. And I've seen it in the, the big C, American church. I've seen these extremes. There's one extreme, and this is really popular now uh, among church members and even some pastors, where there's this compromise extreme. Or they just say, we want to reach the culture so bad that we're going to act like and think like and actually be like the culture. And we're going to tame down and water down the word of God and, and because we want to reach people. And so we'll do whatever it takes, including not speaking truth, to make sure that we reach these people. I don't like that at all. 
And then there's another extreme that they're, they're almost, they're, they're dogmatic in their belief and they're almost judgmental and they come across as like, if you don't, then it won't. I mean, just, that's not attractive either. People are going, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want a part of that. So we're wrestling with these extremes. So how do we reach people in a way that we don't water down the truth, but we're still attractive? I think we can do that. Paul says it this way in Colossians 4, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. He doesn't say be loud. He doesn't say be quiet either. He says be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, I love this, always be full of grace. Don't just be a consumer of the grace of God. Distribute that stuff. Be a distributor of the grace of God and season it with salt. I love that. Make it taste good. Make it palatable for people. They go, oh, I want some of that. So that you may know how to answer everyone. So I bring it to a personal level. With the time that we have left, here's what I love to do. Is I would love to just share with you what has helped me. Because personal evangelism was not a strength for me by any means. And I started doing some of these things and it just helped me. So I want to help you today. I don't want to just say, okay, go change the world. Good luck. I want to give you some, some steps. Four simple steps that I believe can help you make a difference in the lives of those that are around your family, your friends, your coworkers, those around you. Four little steps. The first one is this. Accept the personal responsibility. Just accept it. I accept it. The personal responsibility. I love to say it this way. The only way Austin is going to get saved is you. And God doesn't have a plan B. You're it. I love 2 Corinthians 5. It says, we are Christ's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us. Like, we're it. We're Christ's ambassadors. Christ is trying to make his way known to the world. And, and we're it, the church. You say, no, Pastor Rex is it. No. No, it's, it's his job. I'm going to tithe. And I'm going to say amen. I'll come to church. No, it's all of our, it's all of our responsibility. Yeah. So you just accept that. You say, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. I'm going to accept that responsibility for myself. What is your responsibility? For me, I think it's your sphere of influence. Whoever that might be, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you hang with. Acts 17.26 says that God has ordained the times and the places that men should live. So think about it. God put you in your hood for this season, for this reason. I want you to reach those neighbors for me. You don't like your job, but guess what? He goes, I put you in that job because there are people in there that need me, and you have influence with them, and I want you to tell them about me. And so I want, I want to leverage that for him. I, I want to use that. That's your responsibility is your sphere of influence, which, by the way, is different than my sphere of influence. I don't know those people. The second thing is this. Develop a personal relationship. Develop a personal relationship. This is often the missing piece in evangelism. But Jesus, he was such a great relationship builder. He was. He, he was really good at connecting with people, even people far from God. And he didn't compromise. He didn't say, just live like you want to live. He'd say, no, go and sin no more. He'd say, leave your life of sin. But he connected with people on a deeper level that they wanted to, they drew near to him, Scripture says. They, they wanted to be around him. You've heard this before, and it's so true. But you, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so I just want to invest in people. I want to build a relationship with people. Listen, unchurched people, 
they're not coming to church because of theological issues. That's just, that's proven. They've done these polls where they've asked unchurched people, why don't you go to church? It's never theological. It's always, well, I feel judged, or the people are unfriendly, or I don't understand what's going on. Those are things we can fix, but it's not theological. And I think we can reach those people if we just build a relationship with them. In uh, 2013, some friends and I started a flag football meetup in Zilker Park on Saturday mornings. You're welcome to play with us. We still play to this day, except in August because it's really hot. Uh, but we started this, this and there's some really good athletes, and there's some guys like me, and we have a great time, and we play football, and there's some, there's some Christians, but the goal was to reach people far from God. So we just opened it up to everybody, and, and through this, we've been able to, to do some cool ministry. Well, there was one guy in particular named Mike. He was very athletic, and we hit it off immediately. He was from Philly and had that Philly accent, and so we're playing ball, and we'd go to lunch together, and one day, he was at Pastor Casey's house. Pastor Casey helped with this thing, and and so we're at Casey's house, and we're watching uh, NFL football, and I saw the light bulb go off moment for Mike. And Mike looked around the room, and he goes, you guys are all Christians, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. And he said, I thought Christians were nerdy. I said, well, clearly we're not. I'm the coolest guy that you know. And... Uh, so I continued that relationship with Mike, and, and a little bit later he said, I don't really have any pastors in my world, and I'd like to ask my girlfriend to marry me, and would you do this? Do us the honor of marrying us? I said, sure, man, I'd, I'd be honored when that day comes. And he said, I see how you treat your wife, and I think you've got this husband thing down pat, and I, I just, would you coach me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would literally meet him at the Johnny Carino's in 620 in North Austin every Wednesday afternoon for lunch, and I, would, I was discipling him before he knew what disciples were. I, like, I was just telling him, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a godly husband. And uh, I laid, a little bit later, I got to lead him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I got to marry him and his wife. And then I got to baptize him and his wife. So sweet. And they're faithfully following Jesus. They live in Portland now and they've got two sweet babies. So cool. And that might not have happened had I started with the gospel. Like the first time he shows up for football, let me tell you about Jesus. Maybe. But you know what works? relationship it just works Uh, think about how when you were led to Christ think about this you probably don't remember the words that were said but you probably remember the person who said it it's just something about it you have a relationship with somebody and personal relationships are critical to evangelical wins here's the third the third step is share your personal story Share your personal story. This is probably the best evangelism advice I could ever give you. Our job is not to tell people what's wrong with them. It's to tell them the difference Jesus made in you. Our job is not to tell them what's wrong, but to tell them what Jesus has done. And it's a, it's a big difference, by the way. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's how this plays out. You, you, uh, you go to work tomorrow, right? And you're like, woo! Right? And you're kicking your heels. And you're like, it's a great day to be alive. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's Monday, bub. And you're like, man, I'm sorry. I just had a great experience at church yesterday. God is rocking my world. Hey, you should come check it out with me next week. Right? You let your light shine. And they go, there's something different about that guy. He doesn't have the Monday morning blues. Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
which is where they were standing, in all Judea and Samaria, which is the surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. But notice it says, you'll be my witnesses. In the courtroom, there are four key players. There's the judge, there's the prosecutor, there's the defense, and there's the witness. You're not the judge. Please don't judge people. You're going to hell. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. (laughs) Really? Give me Jesus. Nobody does that. Don't judge. You don't have to prosecute anybody. You don't have to defend anything. You witness. What does a witness do? Tells their side of the story. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my world. It changes lives. Tell your story. No one can refute that, by the way. You can argue with an atheist about the existence of God until you're blue in the face, and you can actually win the argument and still lose. I've had it happen. Where I won. I defeated him, and he never wanted anything to do with me or the Christianity that I follow. But you know what people can't refute? You know what people can't argue is your story. Why? Because it's your story. Hey, listen, I don't know if it works for everybody. It's working for me, though. I just got to tell you what God is doing in my life. I want you to to do that. And and here's a piece of advice. I would encourage you to condense it to about two minutes, two, three minutes, where you can tell your story sitting across the table with them eating pizza. So let me, this is kind of how I do it. I just want to just show you just how I would do it, and then you can kind of make it your own. So I would say something like, uh, let me just tell you something you may not know about me. And then I'd go into my story. I, I was raised in a church, and I, I guess I became a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> I heard hell is for non-Christians, and that didn't sound good. So I was like, I'm in. So I, I can't. But I was, I was really in, I was in love with the institution, with the church. And that's where I put my hope and my faith and my joy and my peace. And, and I, I didn't really know Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. And then when I was 12, that was when I was 9, when I was 12, my father committed suicide. And I remember just being lost and broken. Because, again, my hope and my peace and my faith were in an institution, not in a person of Christ. And So I was really confused, and I was really, I didn't like God. And then a little bit of time passed, and I came to an experience like this where I saw live drums on a stage, and I saw people passionately pursuing a person, the person of Jesus, and something switched for me, and I was like, this is different than what I've known before, and that was the day that I actually switched from him being my savior to him being my Lord, and I said, I want to give you my life, and I want to surrender my life to you, and I think I did for the most part, but I still had a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of doubt, so I got to the University of Texas, and and I was going to school here to do journalism, and as I'm at the school, uh, I started wrestling with, like, what is truth? I grew up in the Bible Belt, in the prong of the Bible Belt. Like, if I would have grown up at a different latitude and longitude, I would believe something different. And I'll be dead a lot longer than I'll be alive. So I didn't want to get to heaven, and there's Muhammad. Oh, no. Like, I don't want to, you don't want to get that question wrong. So I said, I saw this journalism and religion. We're studying all the major religions of the world. I'm like, I'm in. So I did. And we studied Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Christianity and all the major Mormonism, all the major religions of the world. And I came out of that class so convinced that it wasn't just faith. It was facts now behind my faith. I was so convinced that Jesus is who he said he was that I said, I'm in. I have no more doubt. I have no more skepticism. And I was so convinced that I I dismissed the dream of becoming a sports center anchor and said, I want to spend the rest of my days leveraging them to tell other people about Jesus Christ. That was the moment God called me to ministry. And then I would wrap it up and I would say, listen, I love you. And because we have step two, 
They all work together. Personal relationship, they know that. I love you. And my relationship with you will never change whether you ever believe what I believe or not. But because I love you, I would be an unloving friend if I believed that life abundantly on earth and life eternally in heaven existed and I never told you about it. And so I just know God's rocking my world and I wish, I wish you'd give him a chance for yourself. And then it comes from a place of love and, and they receive that. They go, I'll come check it out. And that gets to the fourth step. You give a personal invitation. Just give a personal invitation. Right? Hopefully it's to Jesus if you're comfortable just walking in them through, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again. And if you put your faith in him, you get life everlasting and you get life abundantly on earth. You're forgiven and set free. But if you don't know how to do that, that's okay. Just invite them to church. But you want to invite them to an encounter with God. God, God is not something you attend. God is someone you experience and encounter. So invite them to this encounter. I firmly believe that if someone has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, as I did in college, you, you just, you're not skeptical anymore. I'm in. I'm in. And I would imagine, based on the, the sheer size of the room, that there are some skeptics in this room right now. And I don't blame you. I don't, I don't know if the church, the Big C American Church, has done that great of a job of showing you who God is. But here is part of our heart at Christian Life Austin is we want you to hear, experience God. In such a way that you go, that is undeniable. Like, I, I, I can't even explain that. He is real. I know it. I just experienced something. Paul had a similar experience. Paul, uh, who wrote most of the New Testament, or the most books in the New Testament, was a skeptic, a major skeptic. In fact, he killed Christians because he thought Christianity was a cult. And then on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus face to face, has an encounter, and he's forever changed. And he says this, this is so powerful. He says, let me tell you how I'm going to share Jesus from this point forward. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 2 out of the message translation. It's so beautiful. You've got to listen to this. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Paul says, I'm not going to woo you with words. In fact, at several points in Scripture, we find out that Paul is not a great orator. He was not a very good communicator. He goes, I'm, I'm not real good with words. I'm a pretty simple guy. In fact, he says that. He said, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I'm a simple guy. So I put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Here's Jesus. Here's who he is. Here's Jesus. Here's what he did for me and what he can do for you. Verse 3. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I know some of you are sitting there and you're hearing me talk about evangelizing to your friends and neighbors and you're, you're feeling totally inadequate. Paul was too. He goes, I was scared to death if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. Like I was scared. I didn't know the words. I kept it really plain and really simple. And the message still came through. Here's why God's spirit... And the word spirit there in the Greek is pneuma, which is a fresh breath of air. It's like I can't see it. I just felt it. I, knew, I experienced it. And God's power. God's spirit did it and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Maybe if you're here today, you're trying to figure it all out. I just want you to experience God. 
We don't ask you for anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to pray anything. You don't have to serve anything. Just sit there and encounter God. Randy, if you'll help me. I had a, when I first got into ministry, it was in 2005, in church ministry, and uh, I took over a youth ministry, and I wanted to do some kind of an event to just bring in a bunch of teenagers, and so we threw a rock show, <laughs> and I had a Christian rock band that I liked uh, by the name of Disciple, and they're a cool band, they got long hair and tattoos, and they can rock, and so I brought them in, and I had posters put up all over town. There was a young man in the town named Tyler who was in the high school. He was a sophomore in high school, and he saw the posters, but he was an atheist. And uh, you have to understand, this is in Snyder, Texas, so it's a town of 10,000 people. There's not a lot to do. So he's like, hey, free rock and roll. And this is Tyler. This is what he told me. He said, I saw the poster, and the guy on the front of the poster, that's like on the front of the poster, he had this emo haircut, which was really cool in 2005. And he had this emo haircut, and he was like, yeah, he, was like, he looked like he could rock and roll, but, and he was the bassist, he didn't know that. The lead singer of the band was over here in the corner, and he had a belt buckle the size of Dallas. I, I love this, his name's Kevin, he's a good friend of mine. Kevin, he, he, he looks like a dork in this picture, he's really cool, but he looked like a dork. And, and Tyler said, if I would have known he was the singer, I wouldn't have come. But I saw the guy in the middle who had the swoopy hair, and yeah, I'm going to go check this guy out. He looks like he can melt the face. So he comes to the show, and he said, I was sorely disappointed when I saw Swoop Haircut Guy. He's at the back with the bass guitar and belt buckle boys in the front singing. He said, I almost left. But I thought, I'm going I'm to hear it out. I'm already here. I might, might as well listen to a song. And he's listening, and he said, Kevin got out his word in the middle of the set. And he starts proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. And you and I are sinners, we fall short of the glory of God, and God didn't give you what your sins deserve, but he gave his son Jesus what your sins deserve instead, and put your faith in, put your faith in him, and you'll have heaven, you'll, you'll have the promise of heaven, but not only heaven, you'll have life abundantly on earth, you'll have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And Tyler, Tyler said, I did this in first service too. I just started thinking about it. Um, he said, I was at the front and uh, he said, I never felt the presence of God like I did at that moment. He said, I felt love. I've never felt love and I felt love in that moment. And he said, I didn't even know what I was doing. But he said, there was like a natural response I would say it's a supernatural response, but he didn't know that vernacular, so he goes, it was just natural, and I stuck my hands up in the air, and I started worshiping God. I don't even know what this is. I don't even, I just, he said it just, it was the way I could say I finally surrendered my life. And that night, Tyler Price gave his life to Jesus Christ. Because he experienced God. And that's what we pray for you. And today, he's in Kansas City, he's happily married, he, and his wife are expecting their first child, and he's faithfully serving Jesus in the local church. In fact, he leads a life group all throughout the year. Here's what I love to do. It's, now, listen, you, if you've come to this church, you know this is not how we typically do our, our invitations, our altars, but I want to do something a little different today. I love for every head to bow and every eye to close. Just nobody looking around the room, okay? 
If you're here today and you want to give your life to the Lord, listen, I'm not going to make you come down today. There is a day that is coming that you need to make your faith public, and we're going to talk about that, but that's not today. But if you'd say today, I want to make sure God knows that I'm far, but I want to be near. I want to draw close to the Lord. I'm ready to surrender, Reed. Or maybe you say, I'm ready to surrender again. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting? In fact, just so I know to to, to include you in that prayer, would you just at this time, everybody's got their eyes closed, would you just slip up your hands and say, Reed, include me in that prayer all over this room. Wow, look at the hands. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I see you in the balcony, I see you, I see you. Wow, that's crazy. You can put your hands down. Just right where we're at. Listen, this is the best decision you could ever make. By far. It's the best decision you could ever make. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So there's a confession that needs to happen. We need to say with our mouth what it is that we believe. So let me help you with some of those words. And if we could all in unison, just out loud together, let's just say something like this. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave, beating death and beating hell. I receive what you did for me. And I want to be in relationship with you. Be my Lord, number one in my life. I give my life to you. I surrender it all today. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, church, can we just congratulate those who just made that prayer? Come on, stand to your feet. Let's give it a, come on. That's awesome. We just had people take the step saying, I'm moving from death to life. I'm moving from blind to see. Come on, let's let them hear it. our prayer partners to come really quickly, really quickly prayer partners to come. Here, here's for the rest of us, for the rest of the church, here's what I'd say. My prayer for you going home is that God would open your eyes and let us see. Did you just see Austin? The way God sees Austin. And see, you'd see your next door neighbor the way God sees your next door neighbor. You'd see that annoying person in the cubicle next to you the way God sees that annoying person. It's his kid and he wants to desperately save them. This church is not for us. It's for the people who are not here yet. So here's what I'd love to do is maybe you just, you need, you need prayer for boldness, okay? Paul, in Ephesians 6, Paul, one of the most bold people I've ever read about who planted churches all over Europe said, I need boldness. I'm scared. We read that a moment ago. I need boldness. If Paul needs boldness, we might need a prayer for courage and boldness as well. So here's what the prayer partners are going to do. We're going to pray for you. If you say, Reed, I I take this message. I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with this. But I need boldness. I need courage because I know I have some difficult conversations to have this week. And if you want boldness, let us pray for you. Maybe God's dealing with you on some other level and he's telling you something else. Why don't you come? Let us pray for you on that. But this is the time. We're going to sing together. And as we sing, if you want prayer, Won't you come? Won't you come?